I'm glad you're all here with us this morning, worshiping God with us, as well as celebrating Advent with us, celebrating the first coming of Christ. If you haven't picked up one of these yet, I'd encourage you to. Uh, We have them available for a few dollars. And this is a guide for you so that you can go through Advent in your home. In fact, what we're doing here on Sundays uh, corresponds to what you would be reading in that in that booklet. And then to remind you as well, remember that our celebration of Advent of Christmas is going to culminate on Christmas Eve. So you're all invited to be here on the evening of the 24th at 630. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter two. If you haven't already, if you need a Bible, there's one near you there. Luke chapter two. We'll read in just a bit verses one through seven again. But let me say something about Advent. In the Advent of Christ, we find the Advent of hope, of love, of joy, and of peace. Advent means arrival or the coming. So with the coming of Christ comes hope, love, joy, and peace. So apart from Christ, apart from Christ, the world is hopeless. There is no hope to be had apart from Christ. The world is loveless. There is no love to know or to be had apart from Christ. The the world is joyless and it is without peace. If Christ never arrives. That's what we mean when we say with the advent of Christ comes the advent of hope, love, peace, and joy. Today, we're going to talk about the love of God. Charles Spurgeon says this. Oh, the beloved of God. Had you had the hatred of all mankind, this honey would turn their hatred into sweetness. Let me read that again. Oh, the beloved of God. Had you had the hatred of all mankind, this honey would turn their hatred into sweetness. It doesn't matter who hates you if God loves you. It doesn't matter how bad life is, family is, work is, The world is. It doesn't matter if you have God. And and the reality, if you are the beloved of God, the reality that God loves you makes even the bitter things in life sweet as honey. It's like a ballast, Right, that keeps us steady in life. Our understanding of and our knowledge of, we've got to come back to it over and over and over again, the knowledge of God's love for His people. So this is like a pastor's dream come true. We're going to preach today. I'm going to preach today about the love of God. So we're going to try to taste the honey. Okay, The honey that Charles Spurgeon was talking about. The honey, the sweetness that is God's love for us that, that, that turns, turns our world upside down. Let's pray and we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your love. 
Thank You, God, for loving us the way You have. Thank You for not leaving us without love and hope and joy and peace, but for causing the the sun to rise in our hearts and floodlighting our souls with the knowledge of Your love to us and for us. God, we ask that You would help Your people today, Your beloved today, to understand Your love more clearly and to, uh, to savor Your love, to treasure Your love, to see it for what it is, to understand that our intellect would be shaped by Your Word, but also our affections, God, that it would stir in our hearts, that we would feel something because of Your love for us. It just wouldn't be something that we preach about or talk about or write about, but it would be something that changes us from the inside out, that floods our souls with Your affection for us and leads to great affection for You because we love You because You first loved us. So give us this understanding. Give us this heart. Give us Your Word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2. Let me read the first seven verses again. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So here we read, this month we celebrate the sending of God's Son to us. And Pastor Curtis mentioned a verse that we could turn to and, and learn about God's motivation in sending His only Son to us. John 3.16 For God so that He sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Why did God send His only Son? Why did God send Jesus? What does John 3 tell us is a great motivation in God for bringing about what we just read the beginning of in these first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. Why did God do that? Why did God do it in this way? John 3.16, we at least know, for God so loved the world. So God is, in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, is motivated by love. He is motivated by love to the point that He sends His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we're looking today at the love of God. 
the love of God. So four points. Let me give them to you quickly, and then I'll give them to you slowly. Let me read through them. Write them down if you like. And then we'll go back and we'll take our time with each of them. Number one, God is love. Number two, because God is love, He loves. Number three, the love of God for His people is demonstrated through the sending and giving up of His Son to die in their place that they may be reconciled to Him. And four, the love of God for His people is made known to His people by the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to talk about the love of God, we have to start. Okay, we have to start with Scripture's most shocking claim regarding God and love. Which was read earlier, and we'll read it again. If you have your Bible, you could flip forward to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. This is a, a shocking claim that the Bible makes in regards to God and love. When we really understand what this is saying, it's a, it's a big thing to say. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, and we're going to hear it in verse 8. We're going to hear it in verse 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, and here it is, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if we were to scan down to verse 16, we would read that claim again. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So point number one, God is love. So this is more, John is saying more than God is loving. God is loving, but this is more than that. He's not just saying God loves. God does love. We'll get to that. But he's saying much more than that. He's not even saying that God is loved, though he is loved. He's saying much more than that. Love is not merely, according to John, something that God does. Love is something that God is. And that's different. And that's one you've got to think about. You have to chew on that for a while. We've got to get other scripture packed in around it. So that we really understand what this means. Because this is not merely something that God does. 
love is something that God is. It speaks of his very nature, the very essence of who God is. God is love. Now, this grammatical structure, God is, and then a word, a noun, is, is only used by John, and he uses it three times. He uses it three times. God is, God is, God is. The first time is in the fourth chapter of his gospel account. John chapter 4, and Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and he tells her that God is spirit. God is spirit. She asks him this question. He's probing. If you remember the story, he's probing really deep. And, and so she changes the subject to theology, which is a famous tactic, right? You're getting too personal. You're asking about me. So let's talk about some abstract theology. And she starts talking to Jesus about, hey, where do you think the best place to worship is, right? I've heard this church over there has, you know, a, a great team. And, and I hear that preaching is good over there. And your people say go to that mountain. And my people say go to this. And so what do you think? And his response is, listen, God is spirit. In other words, God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. So his, while his worship can be localized and God's people can come together and worship like locally in a church like we are today, God can be worshipped anywhere. God can be worshipped everywhere because God is spirit. And then in the beginning of this letter, he gives us another one. In 1 John chapter 1, John says that God is light. God is light. And we learn what he means by the second part of that verse. And in him there is no darkness at all. So when he says God is light, it means God is holy. God is holy. God is different than anything else in the universe. God is truly set apart. God is without sin. God is without defect. God is without darkness. So God is spirit. God is light. And then... And he says it twice here in chapter 4. God is love. So it's more than an attribute of God. This is not merely something, love is not merely something that radiates from God. God does love, but it's because He is love. Now speaking for myself, I am not like this. I am not like this. Now I might love, and I do love, and, and and some of you might some of you might even say that I'm loving. Maybe some of you would even feel that you're loved by me as your pastor, but none of you would ever say, and I would not say that Eric is love. In fact, I would say that love does not come naturally to me. Other things come more naturally to me. This was a big point of, um, I was reading about it this week with the passing of Nelson Mandela. And for all the things that I know of him and respect of him, this would be a point of disagreement. He was very emphatic that uh, sin is not what comes from us naturally, but love is what comes from us naturally. That doesn't seem to be what the Bible teaches. Amen. And I need no help sinning. And no help. Uh, you don't need to model it for me. <laughs> something you do, right? <laughs> and, I, and I model it for you, right? In the middle of sermons. I mean, I model it for you. Uh, I don't need to take a class on it. No seminar needed. 
know, you know, how to, how to sin more, more efficiently and effectively, how to make a mess of your life. I don't need these kinds of, <laughs> kinds of classes. This is just what I, this is what I do apart from some serious help from God and, and some pivotal people He's put around me. Um, but, but love, I need examples of love. I need, I need to be loved. I need, I need help. I need instruction. I need direction. And so God has authored love. God has modeled love. God has, think about this, God has started love in His universe. So there's love in the universe because God is love and He has started love in the universe. He's the author of it. He's the, the ultimate model of it. He's the, the giver of it. The instructor of it. So I love, but not because I am love, but because God is love and He has loved me. So He His love is first. It's primary. And if you take that away, there is no love. So God has given me life. God has blessed me. Uh, God has warmed me. God has fed me. God has nourished me. And now what can I do? I can nourish others. I can give myself up. can feed others. can love others. Because, because, God has loved me. First John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. This is how we know. We do not know it apart from God. And specifically, we do not know it apart from God sending His Son Jesus to die for sin. So here's another way of saying this. It's really important we understand what we mean by God is love. So think of it this way. So God's love finds expression in Everything he says and does. So it's not like, okay, God is love. What that means is so so God is loving sometimes, and then he's angry sometimes. So God is merciful sometimes, but then God is wrathful sometimes. God is overlooking offense sometimes. God is bringing judgment sometimes. So here we have, they're kind of pitted together. God is loving, and God is just. Or God is love, and God is just. And sometimes, oh, oh, God's loving me right now. This is God's love I see right now. And oh, this is God's justice I see right now. That's not how the Bible speaks of it. Everything that God does and everything that God says, His love is expressed in all of it. Everything He does, His love is expressed through it. Everything He says, His love is expressed through it. It's not like He compartmentalizes it and puts it away, and I'm not going to be loving right now, or love's not going to flow for me right now. Even when He wrathfully deals with sin, it comes from love for His glory and love for His people. So God is always, always, always loving. So it's not God's justice over here and God's love over here. It is God's just love. Or God's loving justice. But God's love finds expression in absolutely everything He says and does. Even those things that you and I have would say and by our experience, don't feel very loving. 
I mean, you ever have your parents growing up do something and they said they were doing it because they loved you and you thought to yourself, well, you really stink at showing it. Because why would you take this away from me? And why would you make me sit in my room? And why, if you love me, you'll just give me everything that I want. Of course, we know that's not true. We know it's not true. We know from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, that God disciplines those whom He loves. That means that God introduces pain into the lives of His beloved. Why? In spite of His love? No, because of His love. Because He loves us. So it means even those things that we or the world perceive as unloving from God, in fact, come from a God who is love. God is love. God who created the world, judged the world by flood, called Abraham, disciplined his people relentlessly by captivity, conquest, and exile, sent his son, would destroy Jerusalem, will return to judge the world. That God is love. That's point one. Point number two. Because God is love, He loves So we're moving past his nature and the essence of who he is. God is love. And now what he does, but what he does is loves, but he loves because he is love. Now, when we talk about the love of God and we talk about how God loves, we're going to look at three and there's more three ways that God loves three loves of God. But understand the love of God is complicated. The love of God is complicated. There's a book out there that D.A. Carson wrote called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Because we can't just take one understanding or definition of love and every time we read of God's love, apply it across the board because there are different ways that God loves different people in different parts of His creation. So it depends on the context and it depends what's around the verses we're looking at. We've got to understand, okay, which... Which love is this? So three loves of God. Let's just look at let's just look at three of them. Number one is the Trinitarian love of God or the inter Trinitarian love of God. Here's what this means. God has always loved. God has always loved. People are not the first objects of God's love. But people haven't been around that long. God's been around much longer than we have. How long? Eternally. How long is that? I don't know. Is that it hurts? It hurts. When does it? No, I don't know. Just forever. How long has God existed? Forever. So when did that start? Well, for forever ago. Well, how long will he exist? Forever. So until when? Forever. So at what point will he? No, forever. It's tough, right? Well, God is love. That means that God has always been love. And that means that God has always loved. Well, how is God always loved? If people are not the first objects of God's love, who was the first object of God's love? And the answer is, God. God. Remember, God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. For eternity, God has sent 
and received, God has given and received love eternally within the Godhead. God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son loves God the Father. John 3.35, we read about this. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. So God has always loved. We have been courted by God late in the story. Or early in the story. Depending on how you look at eternity. But we have been courted late in the story. John 14.31 Jesus said, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father so there we have in John chapter 3 and in John chapter 14, we have pointed out to us that God the Father loves God the Son and that God the Son loves God the Father. So God has given love and has received love for an eternity before us. This is really important so that we know and understand that we do not meet some sort of need that God has. So it's not The reason that God has created us cannot be that God needed someone to love. Now, I thought that for a long time. I mean, God clearly loves us. So this is why He made us. God made us because He's a loving God and for a really long time, He had no one to love. How terrible is that? So finally, He thought of us. And He created us, and so now He can be loving. But the truth is, is that that's not why God has made us. It's going to get closer, and we'll get closer and closer as we go on. At getting to an understanding of just how good the love of God feels. Because He doesn't love me because He has to. He doesn't need me. It's not like God the Father was like, you know, Jesus, I really appreciate your love. But it's a little lacking. There's a deficiency. No. God totally satisfied among himself. We do not meet some need in God. There's another love of God. The providential love of God, we could call it. The providential love of God. Okay, and that is ever since we showed up, God has been loving us, right? Ever since He created us, God has been loving us. God loves all of His creation and His love for all of His creation, especially the soft spot that He has for His people, right? Loves the mountains, okay? Loves the birds, loves your cat, even that cat. God loves them. But then he's got a soft spot for people, right? The pinnacle of of his creation, the image bearers of God. And God loves not just some people, God loves all people. And we see his love for all people and how he provides for all people. Hence, the providential love of God. He loves his creation. He sends the sun to rise, the rain to fall. Color changing leaves and frost and food. God sends these things because He loves the world. He sends Jesus because He loves the world. This is what John 3.16 tells us. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. 
Even those who never believe in Jesus Christ are loved by God through the sending of Jesus Christ because there is great benefit to them because Jesus came and lived and died and rose again in this world. The world that even non-believers live in is a better place because of Jesus. And there's a particular work, we'll get to that, that God does through His Son, Jesus, as He loves His people. But God, in sending His Son, Jesus, was certainly loving the entire world. Because the entire world is better because of Jesus. Psalm 145 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We know that one. Verse 9, The Lord is good to all. He's good to all. And His mercy is over all that He has made. Though the world does not love God, God loves the world. God is love. Though the world does not love God, God loves the world. So this is the providential love of God. The scope of this love of God is wide. This is the wide scope, completely zoomed out of the love of God. The providential love of God. His love for the entire world. Now, while God loves the entire world, there is also the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. Scripture calls them the beloved. The beloved. Scripture calls them the elect of God. Scripture calls them the chosen of God. Scripture calls them the bride of Christ. The beloved. God's love, while there is a wide scope of God's love, there is also a a narrow scope of God's love. While God loves all people, God does not love all people in the same way. And God has special love for certain individuals. Now, do you not see this work out in your own life? There's a sense in which your love is wide and there's a sense in which your love is narrow. For example, let me tell you how this works out in in my life. As a pastor, I love you. Some of you have been even sitting across from me in, in counseling maybe or you're discouraged or you are in despair. And while I'm, I'm sure that I would have been quick to remind you of God's love for you, first and foremost, as a believer, there have been times with some of you, and you would maybe even be able to remember, where I've come alongside you and said, I also want you to know that I love you. I love you. I really, really love you. I think about you. If you remember this church, I think about you, pray for you, remember you, go to the Lord for you, love you, want your best, love you. But I love you 
in a different way than I love my wife. Or I also will go home and I'll find my wife in the house and I'll say to her the same three words I said to you when we were counseling. I'll find her and I'll say, I love you. But I mean something totally different. And it doesn't make my love for you not love, but it makes my love for her a very special love, a very a love full of, of great affection. I'm I'm if I'm doing what I should be doing, I'm giving myself up for her. I'm not giving myself up for all of you. I'm giving myself up for her. I'm in covenant with her. I'm devoted to her. I'm living for her and for our family. And so when I say I love you to them, it means something differently when I say I love you to you. I also love beef jerky. (laughs) Right? We don't need to be rocket scientists to figure out he means something different. I don't mean my wife's a piece of jerky. And so too, when the Bible speaks of God's love, we need to figure out, okay, what kind of love are we talking about here? So this, this gets us now to point three, because the question is, well, how is this love? If this is the narrow scope of God's love now, how is this love from God for his people demonstrated? How is this love? from God, for His people, demonstrated. How does God express this love for His bride? Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if God's love for all people is the providential love of God, this love is God's particular love. This is God's particular love. This is the saving, rescuing love of God. God does not love all people in this way because all people are not rescued. All people are not Saved. Some people are saved. Some people are rescued. A particular people are rescued. A particular people are saved. And they are those whom God is showing His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is point number three regarding the love of God. The love of God for His people is demonstrated through the sending, that's Advent, that's what we're celebrating this month, God's love for His people demonstrated through the sending and giving up of His Son to die in their place that they may be reconciled to Him. 1 John 4, 9, we read it a bit ago. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay, it was demonstrated. It was expressed. How? That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands are called to love their wives and give themselves up for their wives. Why? This is the basis in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. 
her. He had her in mind. He died with her in mind. He gave Himself up for her. The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. Or the beloved. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. God's love is demonstrated for His people in the sending and giving up of His Son to die in their place that they may be reconciled to God. And in that sense, friends, Jesus did not die for everyone. That is a biblical misunderstanding that undercuts the love of God. When God comes and sends His Son Jesus to die, God is not, the gospel is not a story of God making all people everywhere savable. God's love is much further than that. The gospel is a story of God coming and saving his people. Jesus Christ is not a a life raft that is thrown out into the water. Here's your life raft. You see, you're you're struggling. So now, here I am on the shore. This is not God's love. It's deeper than this. It's not, here you go, here's a life preserver, now it's up to you, the ball's in your court, and whoever gets on, I'm going to give you ten minutes, and then I'm pulling her in. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll be in relationship. This is not what it means. This is not God's love. It is deeper than that. It is stronger than that. It is farther than that. The Gospel is not a life raft that God... Jesus dives into the water. He dives into the water and He finds you and He grabs you and He pulls you and He puts you onto shore and He resuscitates you and He gets your heart beating again. Ephesians 2 said that you weren't swimming, you were dead. Back up. Incapable of grabbing any sort of a life raft. Do you see how great God's love is for His beloved? There may be some difficulties we get out of when we're trying to explain salvation and the Gospel to non-believers. But we get unbiblical in the process. And we come up short in expressing how great 1 John 3, 1 is the love that God has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Friends, this is how God expresses His love for His people. He does not just make them savable and give them a way out. He literally saves them. He saves them. Beloved, this was you. You were dead in your sin, not sick. 
you were not treading water. You were dead. And He came. He found you. And He pulled you to shore. And His Holy Spirit breathed life into you. And you've never been the same since. Now, I hope that stirs affections in you for God. That's the point of this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Now, there's a crucial sub-point here that's necessary. A crucial sub-point. This love from God is uncaused. This love from God is uninfluenced. God did not love us because He had to love us. God did not save you because He had to save you. And God was not attracted to something good in you and repelled by something bad in someone else. See, this is how we love people. And so we've got to be careful and understand this. When we start talking about God loving us and saving us, what we're going to think, what I'm going to think, what you're going to think is that, okay, I get it. I get it. God doesn't just make everyone savable. God saves some people. Okay, I get it, but you've got to keep reading because you're going to be a disaster if you don't keep reading. You're going to be a disaster because you're going to think that so there must be something appealing in me. There must be something better in me. I must have been more spiritually open or I'm more morally upright or, or I'm cuter or I'm funnier or I'm smarter or whatever, but there's something that set me apart and that's why God came and loved me because that's how you and I love people. I could ask you to write a list right now of people you love and people you don't love. And if I made sure that you knew that no one would ever read that list, you'd have one. (laughs) Right? It'd be long. It'd be short if there were people watching you. (laughs) I know I just love everybody. (laughs) You do not. You do not. There are people who you could never see again and you would not be sad. You would not be disappointed. Please. Now, why is that? I mean, there's a sense in which hopefully... You love people, right? You do not wish them harm. Okay, we're getting down to particular love here and who, who you choose and who you have just naturally just deep affections for. Well, how does it work? Well, usually there's something in some people that attract you to them and there's something in other people that repel you. I mean, often they're a lot like you, right? you're a lot like me in some bad ways and you remind me of my bad ways so I don't like you go away it reminds me of my own problems and issues so you've got that list so is this how it works with God is this how it works with God is this who the church is is this who the beloved is is that those whom God looked upon and saw something that drew Him to them? This is not what the Bible teaches. We did no drawing of God. But God drew us. Arthur Pink said, God's love for me and for each of His own was entirely unmoved by anything in us. What was there in me To attract the heart of God, absolutely nothing. 
but to the contrary, there was everything to repel him. Everything calculated to make him loathe me. Sinful, depraved, a mass of corruption with no good thing in me. So there's nothing in us to attract the heart of God. There's everything in us to repel the heart of God. And yet, what can we put before all those other adjectives? Sinful, depraved, massive corruption, no good thing in me. There's another crucial one. Loved. And loved. Have you, if you can get that and understand that and feel that, you'll be, you'll be warmed by the love of God. Amen. Because if God loves you because of something good in you that doesn't quite feel as good, right, as if you understand that God loves you despite all the bad in you. That He loves you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, right? This interaction between God and His people. They said, why do you love us? Why have you chosen us? He says, what well, it is not. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. And then here's God's response. Why do you love us? Here's His response. It is because the Lord loves you. <laughs> right? It's funny. It's like circular reasoning here from God. Why do you love me, God? Well, because I love you. Right? No, 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 no. I, I get that. I know you love me, God. You misunderstood the question. Why do you love me? And then we want to hear why. So what is it? What is it about me? And what's God's answer? Okay, I understand your question now. Listen, listen. I love you because I love you. There's nothing good in you. Nothing in you that attracted you to me. I just love you. It's real love. Not mediocre love. Not, well remember, there's... Nothing good in you, so I can only love you so much because you're just, you're awful. No, it's just maximum love. How much can God love? Infinitely. Infinitely. There is no love like the love of God. So think about it this way. Okay, all of us as, as sinners, uh, God right now loves you the absolute most He could possibly love you. And the degree to which God can love is unfathomable. It's infinite. And God loves you right now. If you're the beloved of God, God loves you that much right now. And tomorrow, if you have a great day and you're holy and you please Him, He's going to love you that same degree. And if the next day you fall on your face and you sin against everyone and their mom and it's a failure of a day, God loves you the same degree. I'm not making this up. This is, this is truth. This is truth. And even as I'm saying it, your flesh is at war within you. And that can't be. That can't be. That can't be. But it's true. God loves you the most He can possibly love you right now. And He's going to love you that much tomorrow. And He's going to love you that much the next day. 
He's going to love you that much all the way into eternity. And there's nothing that you can do to cause him to love you more. And there's nothing you can do to cause him to love you less. Now, some may want to turn that on its head and say, don't preach that. You can't do that. Because then people aren't going to obey God. Can't tell them that. Don't tell them if they do bad, God's going to love them the same degree. That's awful. Because if you tell them that, they're going to stop obeying God. What's the point? I don't need to obey God because He's going to love me the same tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. That just isn't true. That just isn't true. When we understand how deep the Father's love for us is, it wells up such gratitude in our hearts that all we want to do is obey Him and honor Him. What you need in order to obey God more is not an understanding of how He wants to smoke you at the drop of a hat. (laughs) And that if you screw up, you're toast. What you need to understand as motivation for your obedience is that no matter what you do, God loves you always and forever as much as he possibly can right now. Have you get that? Do you get that? All you want to do is please him. That's all you want to do. And when do we sin? When we forget that. It's just that simple. It is that simple. When we forget how great the love God has for us is. This is God's love for his people. And then number four. And I think this is the best. Number four. The love of God for His people is made known to His people by the Holy Spirit. So hang with me on this one, okay? Let me say it again. The love of God for His people is made known to His people By the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying that truth is simply this. God has made known His love to His beloved. But this is really a big deal. God has made known His love to His beloved. The love of God for His people is made known to His people by the Holy Spirit. So God's people know God loves them because the Holy Spirit is working in them and communicating to them, God loves you. So let's work through some Scriptures and and, and arrive again at that conclusion. If you want to turn to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, these are perhaps the chapters in your Bible where we get our greatest insight into who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does These are words straight from Jesus Christ where He's talking to His disciples about the Holy Spirit who is to come. And He tells them who this Holy Spirit is and what this Holy Spirit is going to do. And we gain great insight. So let's just roll through some of these verses and let's learn who the Holy Spirit is and what He's going to do. Chapter 14 of John, verse 16 and 17. Let me read those two verses. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What is Jesus saying? I'm about to leave. Jesus knows he's going to die. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to ascend and he's going to go to be with the Father. But he wants his disciples to know that though Jesus is going to leave them, though God is going to leave them, God is also going to come down and be with them through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is where we get our doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, right, Jesus lives in your heart. That's how we've heard it said. Well, technically, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So he's telling the disciples, what does he say at the end of verse 17? Right now the Holy Spirit dwells with you, but He will be in you. So this is brand new, new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's not just with them and upon them like He is right now, but when Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to be in them. Not just with them, but in them. Then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know you need help. I know you need comfort. I'm not bailing on you. I'm not going to leave you as as orphans. I'm going to come back to you. How is he going to come back to them? He's telling them by the Holy Spirit. Skip down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, how is Jesus going to manifest himself to them if he's leaving? That's the question that Judas asks in verse 22. The good Judas. There's a bad one and a good one. This is the good one. He said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So here you are, Jesus. We see you. Everybody sees you. Believers, non-believers, the world. So what's going to be different? How are you going to be with us and in us differently than you are now? And Jesus answers in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. So you see what he's teaching. The Holy Spirit will come. The very presence of God will come and is going to make His home with you. He will dwell in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Let's move closer to the conclusion, though. So God sends His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Why does God send His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. What is His work? What is His ministry? What is He there for? What's God up to? Jesus gives us more insight. If we go to the next chapter, 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, the Comforter, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, And then Jesus tells him what he's going to do. He will bear witness about me. So why is the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in Christians? To witness 
about Jesus. To point to Jesus. He's called elsewhere the very Spirit of Christ. Why is the Holy Spirit in a Christian? To point the Christian to Jesus. Mediating the very presence of God. The Holy Spirit is pointing God's people to Christ. And this is the foundational and primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is self-effacing. Don't look at me. Look at Him. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. Don't look at me. Look at Him. Pointing us to Jesus Christ. One author said the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. And it's true. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, it can be easy for people, even Christians, to become very preoccupied with the Holy Spirit. But who's the Holy Spirit preoccupied with? Jesus. Don't look at me. Look at Him. I'm here to bear witness about God the Son. I'm here to flood your mind with the truth of Christ. The truth of the Gospel. I'm here to comfort you with the Word of Christ. I'm here to point you to Him. I'm here to remind you of the Gospel. That you may honor Him. That you may walk in holiness. That you may love your church and love your neighbor and love your friends and love your family. I'm here to bear witness about Christ. This is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's in Christians to point them to Jesus. Now let's get even closer to the conclusion. Romans 5.5 And now here's where we're going to get our point. Which is, remember, the love of God for His people is made known to His people by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's dwelling in me. He's bearing witness about Jesus Christ in me. And let's get even more specific. Romans 5.5 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The King James Version says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Or the New English Bible says, Such a hope is no mockery, because God's love has flooded our inmost heart through the Holy Spirit He has given us. So, do you see what it's saying? God's people will know God loves them because the Holy Spirit will tell them. He will tell them. He will pour out, pour into our hearts the love of God. He will shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. He will flood our inmost hearts. It means that the work of the Holy Spirit 
in our, is spreading God's love into every corner of our soul and every corner of our heart and, and filling us and flooding us with the knowledge of how great is the love the Father has for you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian. God loves you. So the Holy Spirit has been sent to indwell you, to mediate the presence of Jesus with you always, and to tell you always, I love you. This is what God is doing through His Holy Spirit. He's whispering to you all the time. Through His Word. Power of the Holy Spirit. God is saying, I love you. I love you. No matter what, I love you. I'm always going to be here. I love you. I'm never leaving. I love you. I love you. I love you. God is not an absent father. He's not the father who just shows you his love by how hard he works. Right? This is how point four gets even better than point three. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you, God, by sending my son. Uh, a, a dad, maybe today, by working hard. I'm going to, I'm going to work all. I'm going to work 80 hours a week, and, and, and I'm going to. I'm going to. You know, I love you because look how hard I work for you, and look all that I've done for you, and look all that I've sacrificed for you. Right. So that's a father who's he's kind of there, but he's not. He's not really there. And then there's another level at which a father communicates, not only demonstrates and expresses his love, but communicates his love. I love you. This is what God is doing with his people. He did it with Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized. We see the kind of father that God is and the kind of father that we should be. Jesus is baptized. God sends his Holy Spirit down upon him. And then he says in front of everyone, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God is not an absent father. He was there with his son. He was present with his son. And he told his son, I love you, son. And I want everybody to know, I love you, son. And I'm very pleased with you. We need more earthly fathers like that today for sure. Who are really there in word and in deed. God's not an absent father. So say, listen, can't you figure it out? Look at the cross. I mean, read the book. What's wrong with you? Of course I love you. Look at everything that I've done. Look at what I've sacrificed for you. No, He sends His Holy Spirit to dwell within us to continually communicate to us, I love you. This word is for you. This death was for you. This life is for you. I died for you. Only the Holy Spirit can say that. Jesus died for you. I may not know when I meet you whether He did or not, but the Spirit knows. And only the Spirit can whisper, Jesus died for you. This Gospel, this death, this new life, it is yours in Christ. 
So God's telling he loves you all the time by his spirit. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. I love this. So we're adopted. We're little boys, little girls. Okay? We belong to God. He's daddy and, and we're his kids. You've got to get childlike with it when you see the words that come up next in Romans 8. By whom? By the Holy Spirit. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here's what that, here's what that means. The Spirit within you, it is by the Holy Spirit that you cry out to God, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. Which means a term of endearment. That's why John Calvin said the communion with God is like crawling up into His lap. we got this... Dumb thing with crawling into Santa's lap. It's the wrong big guy in the sky. God, when we commune with him, when we pray to him, Calvin said we're like crawling up into his lap. It means he loves us. He wants to hear from us. He's holding us and pushing his ear in close. He, he wants to grant the desires of our hearts. He wants to hear the praise of his people. He wants to hear the prayer of his people. This is communion with God. This is the deep, intimate relationship that we have with him. Well, how do we get to the point where we're calling him daddy and we mean it and we believe it? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit who is pressing in you. You are His son. You are His daughter. Go to Him. Talk to Him. Look at what He's done. Look at what He's doing. Look at what He will do. Remember His promises. Hold on to Him. Look to Him. Cherish Him. Receive from Him. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's constant from God. I love you. I love you. I love you. We say I love you in our home all the time. I've seen how this works in some families. Some families say it a lot. Some families say it a little. I guess at some point subconsciously we had to figure out whether we were going to say it a lot or a little. I mean, if you say it all the time, which we do, you know, maybe it ends up the kids get sort of inoculated to it. Like, yeah, I know. You tell me that like 18 times a day. I've heard it. And then pretty soon that's the fear, right? I remember thinking about that. They won't even hear it anymore. They won't even hear it anymore. Maybe we just do it like once a year. <laughs> so they really know it, right? I love you. Oh, thank you. I'm like, yeah, see? It's kind of leaving you on the edge for 11 months and 29 days. But now you know, all right? You should be good for another year. But we don't do that. We just say, I love you all the time. Good morning. I love you. Good night. I love you. Hello. I love you. you just say it across the lawn or across the... A dinner table, or I came home this morning, today's Peyton's birthday, my oldest, he turns 11 today. So I was out this morning for a bit, and I came home, and he was the first guy I wanted to find. I wanted to find him, and I wanted to tell him, happy birthday, and then what did I say after happy birthday? I love you. Hey, my wife and I, we say, and then I go find Chris, and I say, I love you. We talk to each other on the phone, when the phone conversation ends, it's a rule. I love you. I love you too. If we're mad at each other, it doesn't matter. I love you. I love you too. And we've done it. If I don't get the I love you, I'll dial her number back. You didn't say I love you. And she'll call me back or send me a text. Thanks for the non I love you. You know, whatever it is. It's like, you got to say it. You got to say it. I don't know if I'm going to get a car wreck or what. I don't want those to be the last words. It needs to be I love you. So it's over and over and over again. Listen, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. In God's children. And this world is tough. and He's constantly, constantly bringing us to His sword. Bringing us to God's Word. And using it to slay us. 
in a good way and to remind us how great the love that God has for you, how great his affections are for you. John Owen said rightly, we are never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in holy amazement at his unspeakable love. I mean, that's joy and contentment. Uh, You may think that, no, I feel closest to Christ when I'm being a good boy. And that's the trick, right, of the devil. So we get so preoccupied with works, 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 and we do them for the wrong reasons. Now, if I'm doing good things, then I'm going to be nearer to God. That's not exactly, not exactly true. I'll tell you, some of, my, some of the times where I've felt the closest to God are, are after enormous failure. Enormous failure. And I come to God's Word and I read something, just words on a page, right? Just words on a page. But something happens and I'm just done. Right? Maybe it's tears, maybe it's chills, maybe it's uh, just wonderful thoughts about who God is. And I just, I just know, I just know. They're not just words on a page. Friends, what's happened? The Holy Spirit. By whom we call out, Abba, Father. I crawl into his lap again. Pray to him again. He reminds me, I love you. I love you. I forgive you. Forgive you. And I love you. I love you the same forever. Quit worrying about it. Obey me. Not to get me to love you. That's too late. I already love you. As much as I possibly can. So don't obey me so that I'll love you more. Obey me because I love you more. Because I love you most. And I always will. Isn't that good incentive, son? Daughter? I love you no matter what you do. So don't you want to please me? And we do. The Holy Spirit will do this, not working against us, but working in us and with us. And so, friends, my last encouragement to you in this Advent season, if this is your desire, if you want, if you desire for the Holy Spirit to work in you in this way, understand he will not be working against you. He will be working in you and with you. You have responsibility and your responsibility is very simple. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. Be in God's Word. I'm despairing. I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. I'm lonely. If you're not in God's Word, friends, of course you are. Of course you are. So am I when I'm there. You need to read God's Word. Give the Holy Spirit something to burn up. Give him some kindling. And that's his word that he may burn in us brightly the love the Father has for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us the way you have. God, we could all, even the one who has no faith in you, we could all thank you for your love today because you've loved all of us. In a sense of thanksgiving, we do this, though we may not get our target right. We're thankful and we're thankful to you. You're the reason that we have what we have. We love you. But God, we, we want you to hear special gratitude from your beloved this morning. God, we love you. Thank you for making for us a way to crawl up into your lap 
and to commune with you. Thank you, God. We, we know that we were objects of wrath. And you made us objects of affection. Thank you for not turning us away as you should have in the sense of your justice. Thank you for not leaving us in the sea of our sin, drowning. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to rush into the water, to dive deep, to grab us, to pull us back to shore, and to give us life again. Thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.